Well, first of all, I'd like to tell Mr. and Mrs. Paul, thank you and your children for those, that song. I, I was picking on him the other night about being John Henry Miller's pet, and he still sings like a canary, so well, keep it up. Those of you who've been involved in this kind of itinerant ministry probably can identify with me. You know, you, you mark the date, you pack the books, and you kiss your wife goodbye, and then you head off. And, you know, down the road somewhere, you start to get these fuzzy feelings, and why did I ever agree to do this? And then about halfway through, it, you start to feel, you know, these people are okay after all, and... And then when you get to go home, it's kind of tough to go home sometimes. Last year, about this time, I was in uh, Briary Branch, Virginia, near Sangerville, and I was privileged to stay with the uh, Davy and Paula Showalter family, and our children are grown, and I've kind of adopted those children, and some of them are here tonight, and I'm just so honored, and uh, Carol, and her daddy and I went to the same church when we were boys, so thank you. I don't know if this is by coincidence or by divine providence, but Brother Leon gave me this book yesterday. And when I get done this evening, he can help you with this book. I'm not going to talk about this, but I want to talk about the first part. <clears throat> Am I reading and living by the book. And the inspiration to write this, I want to give credit to a book that I read, written by the late Howard Hendricks, and it, it encouraged me, it inspired me, and I felt that I needed to give him credit. Psalm chapter 1, verse 2, but his delight and desire is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. I gave my life to the Lord when I was 13 years old. That would be 46 years ago. And while there have been times in my Christian walk where he didn't seem close, or perhaps I had failed in my commitment to God, it was never because God had failed me. And the biggest struggle in my Christian life all down through the years hasn't been stealing or dishonesty, swearing, or any number of sins known to man, and I've done some of that too. My struggle has been, and more specifically as a young Christian, the discipline of reading, studying, and enjoying the written word of God as I should have. Perhaps you can identify with me. I want to take some time this evening to look at some of the causes and effects of an undisciplined approach to Bible reading. And then I want to look at some ways that may help us to be more diligent in reading and living by the book, God's written message to us. First of all, I want to illustrate by using some of my experiences of trying to grow citrus north of central Florida. When I was in the second grade, my school teacher asked us to bring some seeds to school to plant for a science project. And so that morning, my mama we probably had grapefruit for breakfast, and she gave me some grapefruit seeds, and I took them to my teacher in school, and we planted them, and they grew, and they grew off wonderfully and quickly, and I was soon hooked. I've been growing citrus ever since. 
My endeavors have often been huge on effort and small on success. You see, citrus don't like the cold. It don't do well in the cold. Most commercial citrus is grown south of Ocala, Florida, or in the uh, hot, arid western states. Several years ago, I saw an ad in the South Carolina Farm Bulletin about a workshop put on by the Southeastern Citrus Expo for all citrus or would-be citrus growers who live north of Florida. If you're from Florida, you can't come, just north of Florida. And so I twisted my cousin's arm and we went. A few months later, I read in a farm magazine about these farmers in western Florida, Pensacola, um, Bluntstown, that area, that were planting orange trees in their peanut fields. And I thought, hmm, you know, their weather's a lot like ours. And so I twisted Daryl Brubaker's arm and we went to Florida. I wanted to see, I wanted to learn, I wanted to know everything that I could about growing citrus in colder climates. The University of Georgia didn't have a citrus program. Clemson University is our land-grant college. It didn't have a citrus program. And the University of Florida could care less about me. I was too far north. I felt like the Ethiopian eunuch reading Isaiah and trying to figure it out on my own, and Philip wasn't there to help me. And I made a lot of mistakes. I had to make them myself, and there's truth to that proverb Learn to live from the, learn them from the mistakes of others. You'll not live long enough to make them all yourself. That's true. I bought the books. I read the books. This is just a few of them. Look at all these glossy books, pretty ones, about growing citrus. And I'd read these books. And I'd lay them on my nightstand when I had some spare time and I'd read the books. I wanted to know. I had a dogged persistence, a determination to learn and know. And yes, sweet citrus is not just from Florida anymore. I wish I could bring you some. They're just now blooming. Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein. When? Day and night. Why? That thou mayest observe to be careful and to know and to do, to do according to all that is written. And then Joshua 1, 7, the verse before says, Turn not from it. Where? neither to the right hand or to the left, straight up the middle, that thou mayest prosper at whatever thou doest. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and thou shalt have good success. Now there's a close association or a connection between meditating on God's word and acting on it. And it's so important that our minds are saturated with biblical truth. When? Day and night. And so I ask myself, you know, what portion of the scripture was I thinking about this morning when I started my day? It's a whole lot easier to do it at Sonny's than it is at my house. There's cows down there that want to be milked. 
And there's boys down there that want to know why I'm not there. Or, you know, what am I thinking about as I go about my day? Or as I reflect at the end of my day? Do you and I constantly, consciously reflect on biblical truth and its principles? In Psalm chapter 1 that I mentioned earlier, again we have this whole day and night pattern. It's a mental discipline that you carry throughout your day, a mindset, a lifestyle in which God's word courses through your bodies and percolates through your minds just like your morning coffee. Some time ago, I went to a meeting put on and sponsored by a company who manufactures a popular brand of milk replacer, and for those of you who care, it was Land of Lakes. The one who gave the presentation looked like Brother Nathan Good down there in South Boston, but it wasn't him. And um, he had this mantra or theme song that he went over and over, and he had a line like this. We've been doing it wrong for so long that we thought it was right. And that's the way many people, many Christian people, attempt to go through their daily walk with God each day. They're in a rut. There's no joy in their spiritual journey. And it can soon deteriorate to the place where they think that living in some kind of a spiritual funk is a normal Christian life. And there's one failure after another, one failure after another in our attempts to live a consistent, victorious Christian life. Could it be that you and I have been doing it wrong for so long and we're not reading by the book? It feels normal. My wife Grace had a flock of hens that was ready for retirement or they needed to be used to make chicken noodle soup. And I went to see our neighbor, Uncle Woody Kemp, to see if he wanted to add them to his collection of yard birds and put off that soup option for these hens and buy them a little time for a while. And while I was there, I was catching up with one of his nephews who was a retired naval officer. So I asked Tyrone, what you doing now? Well, I was working as a security guard at the local college. And I ask, what all does that involve? Well, I sit in on the classes, and I make sure the students behave and the teacher is safe. I walk the halls, and I help keep order. And I said, well, boy, that sounds like the book of Judges to me. What's that? I mean, don't you read your Bible? Well, sure I read my Bible, and I go to church, too. I guess I just must haven't gotten that far yet. Our DHI tester one day asked me, where in the world did you come up with a name like Gideon? And that was the name that we had chosen to give our oldest son. And I replied, do you mean you've never heard of Gideon and you were raised in the church? Well, I guess I must have missed Sunday school that day. And I would venture to say that if she had went to Sunday school all of her life and had never heard about Gideon, she'd missed a lot of Sunday schools and a whole lot of Bible stories as well. Are we saturated? Are we grounded in God's Word? Or do you find yourself filling your life and mind so full with many other things 
that it actually feels and seems like we've been doing it wrong for so long that it feels right, just like feeding the wrong kind of milk replacer. Well, I want to illustrate with orchids. Um, there are about 25,000 varieties of orchid species, and the orchid that I have here this evening is a Phalaenopsis orchid that is native to Southeast Asia in the Himalayan mountains. And I find them both beautiful, beautiful and fascinating. Now, if you ever go to the grocery store, the big box stores, and you see these flowers on display, there's one thing that they always do. They'll have a little tag on them that says, easy to grow. Well, I want to destroy that myth right away. That's not so. Most of us buy flowers for our wives, and if, if you don't, you should. And one day I thought to myself, I just love these orchids, and I thought, you know, why should I buy grace-cut flowers when for the same or less money I can buy an orchid that lasts for weeks or two or three months? And so I bought her one. And... Um, <clears throat> I figured, you know, I know a fair bit about growing stuff. I've been a farmer, and I've been growing things all my life. And I know how orchids are. They're tropical plants. They like, you know, that jungle effect and, you know, that hot, steamy climate. I, you know, that orchid died. And, oh. And in the fullness of time, I, I bought her another. And it died. And I waited a while, and I got another one. And it died. All of my efforts seemed destined to failure. I couldn't figure it out. You know, I've met other people that grow them, and they say they're easy. And, and you know, you're all cousin and many times removed and older brother Pablo down in Nicaragua. He grows orchids. I don't know the man. I wish I did. I, I think we could be friends. But, um, but you know, he's growing these orchids, and here my efforts... Failure. And then one day, I bought the orchid book. And I started reading this book, and I got up to about judges. And I realized that I'd been doing it wrong for so long that I thought it was right. I didn't know anything about growing orchids. Orchids don't like wet feet. They need some light. They live, these orchids live in trees. Um, and so you don't put their roots in soil. And one thing after another, I just figured I knew I didn't. But I had been wrong. I was sincere, but I was terribly wrong. You see, I hadn't taken time to read the orchid book and to learn to know about them, much about them as I could. And I didn't know the one who wrote the book. And I wished I could talk to Pablo. You know, he knows about orchids. He lives there. But I don't. So I had to read somebody's book. It takes time and it takes effort to grow orchids like the master, just like it takes time to learn to read and live by the book, God's book. In my early Christian life, 
I believed that I often read the Bible out of guilt. I knew I should read and pray to feed my spiritual man, but guilt is a very poor motivator, and it is often very toxic to the learning process. It can and it often does kill the joy that should be ours by being engaged and an active reader of God's word. Now, the late Howard Hendricks said that when he was converted, someone gave him a Bible, and the following quote was in the flyleaf, and it went like this, This book will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from this book. I think it was true then, and, and I think it's still true. Either you are in the Word, and the Word is conforming you into the image of Christ, are you in the world and the world is squeezing you into its mold? Romans 1 verse 2. You know, we live three and a half hours from Hartwell. That's kind of our mecca up there where we have family weekends and Bible school. And I don't know where you all go, but you're welcome to come that way. I'll put a plug in for that later on some other night. But anyway... <clears throat> Some days we'll drive all the way to Hartwell or any number of places for fellowship meetings and Bible conferences or we'll drive to SMBI for family week. All of them good things, I'm sure, to sit under the teaching of the book. But then we find it difficult to get up and walk across the room and pick up the book and read it for ourselves. We'll find time and the resources to go all the way up to Pennsylvania or all the way to Indiana to participate in a volleyball tournament. Or we may block out time in our schedules to go to Florida for fundraisers where sales, for sales and uh, shuffleboard or whatever. And where giving is not done in secret, Matthew 6, 1 and 3. And again, we find it a chore to make time to be a student of the book for ourselves. I didn't know George R. Burke the first. I doubt if any of you did. I knew the second. He was married to my mom's first cousin. But it is said of George R. Brunk that he became so engrossed in his Bible study that he was often late doing his chores and getting his farm work done on time. Uh, boy, that's, uh, man, you can't be a farmer and do that. But, <clears throat> really, I'm not going to be a farmer in eternity. I want to go to eternity, and I'd better take the time that I need to know the book to get there. I have an acquaintance that, I grew up, he was a little boy, I went to school with his brother, and he was from the Old Order Mennonite Teen Church people, and it's a place where personal Bible study is not encouraged. But in his teen years, he had many questions and became a student of the Word. And he was born again and is now pastoring a Mennonite church instead of smoking cigars. Well, why should we study the Bible? Bible study is essential for spiritual growth. 1 Peter 2.2 2. As newborn babes desire or long for the sincere milk of the word that ye may what? That you can grow thereby. 
We should long for it or crave for it, just as little babies let their mothers know every three hours that they want milk. You probably know that new mother look. You know, dark rings around their bloodshot eyes for six weeks, you know, when the new baby's born. That baby has a way of letting them know when they want milk, and they usually get it. Day and night, too. Psalm 19.10. Said, the scripture says that the word is sweeter than honey. So what is your view of God's word? And how does it compare with your appetite for your daily food? Someone has said that there's three basic types of Bible students. The first one, the medicine type. That's when the word is very bitter, but they know that it's good for what ails them. The second kind is the shredded wheat type. You know, it's nutritious probably, but it's dry and it tastes a lot like hay. Well, then we have the peaches and ice cream people. They just can't get enough of it. They've developed a spiritual appetite by feeding on it and living spiritual truth. They're living by the book. And so I ask this evening, which best describes your efforts? It takes lots and lots of effort. Bible study is essential for spiritual maturity. And I want to read Hebrews 5. 11 through 14. <clears throat> we have much to say about this, but it is hard to explain because you are slow to learn. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word over again. You need milk, not solid food. But anyone who lives on milk, still being an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. That's from the NIV. Yes, verse 11 does imply that many scriptures can be difficult to understand just with a quick and casual reading. Then verse 12 says that by the, this time you ought to be teachers. Well, time is very important. Do you realize that in just two days, tomorrow will be yesterday? And so with time, there should be growth. Things should be happening with time. By now, you should be headed to spiritual college, but you're consent, consent, content I'm sorry, to stay in first grade learning the ABCs with a spiritual Dick, Jane, and Sally readers, story time and a nap. And then we get to verse 14, where we have trained ourselves through constant use of the scripture that we have learned to distinguish between good and evil. That's what the scriptures teach us. Without the law, we don't know good or evil. The mark of spiritual maturity is not necessarily how much you understand, but how much we use of what we've learned and know. In the spiritual realm, the opposite of ignorance is not knowledge, but loyal obedience. And I alluded to that last night. 
How much do you obey of what you know? You know, people can impress you with vast amounts of scriptural knowledge, but do they obey it? If you know the scriptures and apply them to your heart, you'll obey them. Well, my next point, Bible reading or Bible study is essential for spiritual effectiveness. Have you ever wished that your life was more effective for Christ in kingdom building? If so, what have you done to prepare yourself? You know, too many of us want to grow spiritual orchids without reading the orchid book. We want fruit and flowers without the work. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect and thoroughly furnished into all good work. Now, answer me. Does that include 2 Chronicles? Do you like having your personal devotions in the book of Deuteronomy? I see smiles, but raise your hand. I mean, all right. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 1 through 11, we have the account of Jesus in the wilderness being tempted by Satan. And he defeated the devil three times by quoting scripture saying it is written and went on to give all of his answers from the book of what, Wyatt? Right. You heard this before. Jesus answered the devil three times from the book of Deuteronomy. One of the things Paul mentioned in scripture that scripture is profitable for doctrine or teaching good doctrine. It's so important. It determines how we think and view the issues of life. And that is so critical because if you do not think correctly, you will not live correctly. And what we believe will determine our conduct towards God and others. And then... We have the rebuke part. It's like an umpire yelling when you hit a foul ball. Strike! Or it's a foul! Or you're out! It tells us what God's standard for sin is. Not our opinion. Not someone else's opinion. But that of a holy God and his standard is so much higher than we often challenge ourselves to attain. Well, Bible reading is good for correction. Bible reading, reading God's word opens up the doors to the closets and cupboards in our lives. It helps us to see things lurking there that need to be cleaned out. We sometimes need to straighten up and get rid of some things. It has a purifying and cleansing effect for clearing out the trash that sometimes can accumulate in our hearts and helps us to conform into the image and likeness of God. It is profitable for training in religious righteous living. It gives us guidance. How often do we see those trying or attempting to live a form 
of the Christian life who've fallen victim to the folly of a no-guidelines mentality. Yet in sporting events, they're very adamant about guidelines, foul lines, goal lines, boundary lines, and God forbid, rules of the game. They're enforced by cold-hearted, ruthless men in striped shirts waving their arms and blowing shrill whistles. You know, we're okay with that, but we don't want guidelines from the book. There's something wrong. God wrote his message in a book, and he asked us to study it for at least three very good reasons. One, it's essential for growth. Two, it's essential for spiritual maturity. And three, it's essential for equipping and training us to be an instrument for his use and his glory. There is nothing that takes the place of a lifetime of personal exposure to the scriptures. It is vital, just as breathing is essential for life itself. And without personal Bible study, you will never be directly involved with what God has to say to you. You will always be dependent on your pastor, brother Leon, or any number of you brethren. Would you like for them, you to ask them to come give you your food each day? You need to learn to get your own spiritual food. You don't want to become dependent on your pastor or the radio preacher, or otherwise you will need an intermediary. What if you had to relate to your spouse that way? And how long would your marriage last if you always needed to communicate through a third party? The relationship would probably be doomed pretty soon after it started. You know, um, the story about John Aldwin and Patrick Mullins, Priscilla Mullins and Miles Standish. And uh, you school teachers, I think, will have to give them the facts, but both of these men loved this lady, and the one man was afraid to ask, and so he sent his love letters with the other man. These were the pilgrims back in... Plymouth, Massachusetts. Well, guess who married the girl? The guy that wrote the letters or the guy that, that did the running? Well, I imagine he throwed those things in the bushes on the way. And, and um, he married the girl. That's a, a fact of history. Well, I want to take a little time yet this evening and try to make some things practical and applicable to our daily life and make it fit personally. To be a successful Bible study or a Bible reader, you must learn to read. Good reading habits take personal discipline. Howard Hendricks says this, there is a direct correlation between your ability to observe scripture and your ability to read so that anything that you can do to improve your reading skills will be a quantum leap in the direction of improving your observation skills as a student of the Bible. And I want to say this, that in my time and your time, we've become a YouTube generation. If it's not a short video clip, and few of us are, put, are willing to put forth the time to dig for information on our own, you know, you want to make something, you go to YouTube. You want to see how something's done, you go to YouTube. You can't study the Bible that way. You've got to dig it and read it for yourself. 
Well, Mr. Hendrick tells us about his young son. One of my children was halfway through first grade before I realized they weren't teaching him how to read. So I went to complain to the teacher. Well, you don't understand, Mr. Hendrick, she told me. The important thing is not that your child know how to read, but that he is happy. Well, against better knowledge, I decided to let it go for a while. But at the end of the year, I discovered that my child was disgustingly happy, but couldn't read. In fact, I went back to the teacher and said, did it ever occur to you that children might be happier if they knew how to read? Well, it cost me a month's salary to put my youngster in remedial reading program. But it was one of the best investments I ever made. Today, he reads better and faster than I can. And that's why I believe that one of the most important things you can do for people is to help them in their process of reading. Teachers, that's for you. <clears throat> reading is a different, in a different version sometimes can be helpful. Read out loud or to each other in your family. Make Bible reading the center of your family devotional time. John chapter 4, verse 23. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is seeking that time with you and I. Be there. Deuteronomy chapter 6, 7 and 8. Instructs parents and especially fathers to teach the Scriptures to their children. It is your responsibility. In all other world religions, people are seeking a God to worship. But in the Christian faith, God is seeking those, you and I, who will worship Him. And if you are one who finds reading difficult, get CDs or download a digital copy. Listen to it as you drive to work or while you're driving or something. But remember... It will take effort on your part. Well, will you always have a full and complete understanding of the scriptures? I don't. Revelation chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it, and take it to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. It is unlikely that we will ever have a full and complete understanding on this side of heaven, but there's blessing in obedience, and there's blessing in reading. <clears throat> Perhaps <clears throat> it would be helpful if we read the book as a love letter. Have you ever fallen in love? I hope so. Those of you who are old enough. I fell in love with a young lady I met in northwestern Ontario 40 years ago, who later became my wife. And I want to say that for all the mistakes I made growing up, I made up for it when I married her. For the better part of a year, we communicated or corresponded by letter in our courtship. We were separated by many, many miles of Canadian bush and lakes. Letters, wonderful letters. It was our lifeline during that time. 
And each and every letter that I would get from her was invaluable. And when the pilot would land and hand me the mailbag, and I would get her letter, <clears throat> and he was back on his way, nothing else mattered very much until I had given my total undivided time and attention to reading the first the first reading of the manuscript. <clears throat> Food, sleep, company from home, nothing was really important to me compared to that connection to that letter in hand and only because she had written it. So guess what I did <clears throat> when I would get one of her letters? Do you think I would mumble? Sorry, I'm having a problem. Do you think I would mumble, oh no, another letter from Grace. I guess I'd better read it. Or did I sit down and read the first paragraph and say, well, I think that's enough for today. Glad I can check that off my list. No way. I used to read every single letter four or five times. You don't know about that, do you? <clears throat> all this texting and all that. Well, anyway, picking on you. I'd carry it around in my shirt pocket, close to my heart, and under my parka for protection. And then I'd read it again before I'd go to bed, and I'd lay them on my nightstand in case I'd wake up in the middle of the night, I could read it again. I could read them over and over again. Why? Because I was in love with the young lady who wrote them. And that's the way we need to learn to come to the Word of God. Read it as though it was his love letter to you. It takes time to read the book and to get to know the one who wrote it. But only you, only you can set your schedule. And you can be sure that there will be plenty of things that will interrupt you and try to keep you from being there. The telephone, the newspaper, the feed truck. Something or somebody will want your attention. <coughs> and I'm here to say, that people need our attention, our children and the neighbors, etc. But it is often the things that we allow in our life that compete for our attention, that clutter our lives, that keep us from reading and living by the book. Well, what about study helps? Yes, they have their place, Hendrick says, but you will not be seriously disadvantaged without them. It is so important that you know what the Bible, what the book says, and where it says it for yourself. Now some things that can sap spiritual vitality and compete with our being able to read and know the book. Technology has moved at warp speed in the last 50 years. 
In my first grade class in public school, I wasn't, it wasn't just the Mennonite and Old Order children who didn't have television in their homes. Many other homes didn't either. It was new, and unless you lived close to a tower, the reception was poor and fuzzy at best. And so technology in itself isn't necessarily bad, but too often it is used for things that hinder our spiritual growth. And perhaps many of you have been victorious and have enjoyed years of distraction-free, vibrant Bible reading and have good habits, but there are those of us who struggled. And again, only you can put your finger on the things that are competing for your time with God. It may be things like the newspaper, trade magazines, Amish novels, Jenny Hokey books, and um, on and on. And a lot of those things, you know, where they tell where love was soft, they may not be wrong in themselves, but please keep them in their place. And recreational reading is fine, but don't let it compete with your heart. Someone has said, that you should read the newspaper standing up. Well, sometimes after we get done milking, it's nice to sit down, but my point is don't become absorbed with things that have no eternal value. Learn from them. Recreational reading, I talked about that. It may be hobbies, recreation, legitimate things, hunting, fishing, volleyball, or our pursuit of business. All of these things can compete with reading from the book. And I want to show you something. I don't remember how it is in Virginia, but in South Carolina, we get the state paper, which is the official paper of South Carolina. It's printed in Columbia. And I remember when JFK was shot. And I remember when Martin Luther King was shot, and I'm sure that they didn't have headlines on the front of the paper that big. This is about some nonsense where, where men roll around in the grass and hug each other. And look at those um, headlines. And uh, here's some more, front page. Remember what I told y'all last night about the last verse of Romans chapter 1, that uh, these are not our kind of people. And uh, you can talk them into heaven if you want, but most of them are ungodly people. And it says they who do these things and those who enjoy and support those guys become guilty of their sin. I didn't say football is wrong, but you know the lifestyle of a lot of these professional type Hollywood people. They can sap your spiritual vitality. Well, some of you read The Sword and Trumpet. And so maybe you have read some of this, but in the June 2013 edition of Sword and Trumpet, there was an article in there written by a Regina Hess that I don't know. Uh, I happened to her, meet her parents a few weeks ago while preaching in a, a church, and here they acknowledged themselves. <clears throat> and she writes an article called Almost Amish. And I think she writes a very thoughtful, and fair assessment of what the influence of media has on Christians and more specifically those 
of us who embrace the Anabaptist faith. We know the verses in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, where we demolish arguments and every presentation that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, where we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We are to transform and be to be transformed, and our carnal minds are to be renewed and filled with the law of God, meditating on it day and night. Remember, I talked about day and night, Psalm chapter 1. I want to quote Sister Hess. Every article we read, every music video we download, every YouTube video we watch is produced by someone with a specific worldview. How much of the media we consume is created by people with a biblical worldview without a biblical worldview, much less an Anabaptist worldview? And we will be influenced and as a result changed by the people and the ideas we're surrounding ourselves with. And as, as I mentioned above, we're a YouTube generation. Let's be honest. I look at YouTube sometimes. We like YouTube. Raise your hands. Yeah. It's not all bad. We can learn. But when we have to do everything by video clips, we're going to be suffering for that. Many of us are not readers anymore. Cell phones have given us round-the-clock availability. Most of us have internet connections, games, movies, porns, and superficial friendships instead of real-life friendships. My wife and I had to clean the church not long ago, so we rewarded ourselves and stopped by Pizza Hut on the way home. Don't you think that was a good arrangement? And, uh, you know, while we was waiting for our food, we watched a couple over there. I think they were man and wife and two teenagers and perhaps their children. You don't know anymore, but all four of them were on their smartphones doing something, but none of them were talking to each other. That's unfortunate. We've become addicted to social networks, the need to know and to know it first. There's Facebook, Google Plus, and many others. You know more about that than I do. Blogs, blogs, and more blogs. When do people have time to work, and when do they have time to read the book? Too many of us have allowed our addiction to computers, tablets, and phones to hinder the proper use and development of our minds. You know, you go to the airport and you see grown men hunkered down playing Zappazoids or some other ridiculous things on their phones while they're waiting on the plane. That makes for small minds, I'm telling you. A fertile, disciplined mind has the capacity to fill volumes. Handel's Messiah wasn't written by some bozo chasing digital dots around on his smartphone. Paul says that godly exercise profiteth little, but computer games profiteth nothing at all. <laughs> and I'm telling you, that stuff makes for small minds about as big as a hickory nut. That's just, I'm sorry. And again, I want to quote Sister Hess. 1 Timothy 5.13 has a sobering comment about women from the first century. They learn to be idle, wandering from house to house, and not only idle, but tattlers also, and busybodies, 
speaking things they ought not. And now in the 21st century, through the wonders of the internet, we have the unique ability to wander from house to house without ever leaving our home. When I was growing up and living at home, I woke up early in the morning and I would see my dad sitting in his recliner reading his Bible and having his quiet time with the Lord. My mother, too, was a very disciplined person like my dad, faithful as the sun in the morning with the Lord every day. That's one of the pictures of my home in my mind when I go back and remember my childhood. What will my children remember about me? Today we have new tools and new opportunities to show a disciplined life or an undisciplined life. My children are watching me. What example am I giving for my children? Do they see an industrious, godly mother? Or is their mother known for all the time that she wastes on the internet? May God give us strength that we need to be godly women that he has called us to be in the 21st century, unquote. I want to tell you this evening that every time I preach this, my heart is stirred and convicted again and again. It is a discipline, and it goes against the grain of every fiber of your body, and the devil wants to keep it that way. But I hope that the Spirit of God will speak to your heart as well. In Ezra chapter 7, verse 10, we read, For Ezra has devoted himself to the study and observance of the law of God, and to teaching its laws and decrees to Israel. And that is my prayer today, and my goal for today and tonight for you, that I could be counted among the faithful, because I have learned to read and live by the book, and share its saving and healing message to others. So help me God. I don't know how to close a service like this this evening. But I want to say this. I think if all of us are honest, and I've given an invitation to say, how many of y'all want to do better? We'd all stand up. We all want to do better. But this evening, I want to give an invitation that if you've struggled and struggled, and you really want to find victory, and you really want to commit to start a serious search of the word for yourself and your own personal devotions, that you will stand to your feet and make it known and we'll pray with you. And so let's sing just as I am. And if you feel convicted to make a start tonight, to make a new start, a better start, please feel free to stand your feet as we sing. Shall we sing just as I am? <laughs>